This is Trifecta Now, Living a Course in Miracles. Welcome back. This is episode 14, chapter 14, Teaching for Truth. You can reach me at trifectanow3 at gmail.com if you need to ask me any questions. What is truth? We are so convinced that we want the truth, that the truth shall set us free. There's an older, there's a line from an older movie called A Few Good Men, where young Tom Cruise asks Jack Nicholson's character, I want the truth. Jack Nicholson responds, you can't handle the truth. Truer words may not ever have been spoken. We have a very distorted version of truth, which is based on this world and made up in this world. How can we know the truth if we don't even realize that this reality offers us no truth at all? Introduction is on page 270. Yes, you are blessed indeed, yet in this world you do not know it. But you have the means for learning it and seeing it quite clearly. The Holy Spirit uses logic as easily and as well as does the ego, except that his conclusions are not insane. They take a direction exactly opposite, pointing as clearly to heaven as the ego points to darkness and to death. The next part on that same page is called The Conditions of Learning. And I wrote that indirect proof is needed in a world made up of denial and without direction. You will perceive the need for this if you realize to deny is a decision not to know. Our denial of who and what we really are leads us to this place of confusion and darkness. The Holy Spirit is willing and able, by request, to show us proof that we are something other than what we think we are. Paragraph 1 says, If you are blessed and do, and do not know it, you need to learn it must be so. The knowledge is not taught. But its condition must be acquired, for it is they that have been thrown away. You can learn to bless and cannot give what you have not. If then you offer a blessing, it must have come first to to yourself. And you must also have accepted it as yours. How else could you have given it away? The next page, which is 271, paragraph 3 says, Seeing is always outward. Paragraph four says, any direction that would lead you where the Holy Spirit leads you not goes nowhere. Anything you deny that he knows to be true, you've denied yourself, and he must therefore teach you not to deny it. Undoing is indirect, as doing is. You were created only to create, neither to see nor do. Paragraph five says the Holy Spirit, therefore, must begin his teaching by showing you what you can never learn. His message is not indirect, but he must introduce the simple truth into a thought system which has become so twisted and so complex, you cannot see that it means nothing. On the next page, which is page 272, it's the happy learner. I wrote, the key to understanding and acceptance is to be willing to let happiness in, to be willing to let go of the dark cloud you let hover over you. The Holy Spirit cannot possibly enter if you are standing in front of the door. You need first to want to let her in and second to be willing to see what she wants to show you. 
Paragraph one says the Holy Spirit needs a happy learner in whom his mission can be happily accomplished. You who are steadfastly devoted to misery must first recognize that you are miserable and not happy. The Holy Spirit cannot teach without this contrast, for you believe that misery is happiness. Paragraph two says the Holy Spirit, seeing where you are, but knowing you are elsewhere, begins his lesson in simplicity with the fundamental teaching that truth is true. <laughs> this is the hardest lesson you will ever learn, and in the end, the only one. Simplicity is very difficult for twisted minds. Consider all the distortions you have made of nothing, all the strange forms and feelings and actions and reactions that you have woven out of it. Nothing is so ailing to, alien to you as the tr simple truth, and nothing are you less inclined to listen to. The contrast between what is true and what is not is perfectly apparent, yet you do not see it. Paragraph three says, this, all this is the Holy Spirit, all this the Holy Spirit sees, sorry, and teaches simply that all this is not true. To those unhappy learners who would teach themselves nothing and delude themselves into believing that it is not nothing, the Holy Spirit says with steadfast quietness, the truth is true. Nothing else matters. Nothing else is real and nothing else beside it is not there. Let me make the one distinction for you that you cannot make but need to learn. Your faith in nothing is deceiving you. Offer your faith to me and I will place it gently in the holy place where it belongs and you will find no deception there and only the simple truth and you will love it because you will understand it. Paragraph four in the next page, 273 says, like you, the Holy Spirit did not make truth. Like God, he knows it, it to be true. He brings the light of truth into the darkness and lets it shine on you. And as it shines, your brothers see it and realize that this light is not what you have made. They see in you more than you see. They will be happy learners of the lesson this brings, this light brings to them because it teaches them release from nothing and from all the works of nothing. Paragraph five says, when you teach anyone the truth, that truth is true, you learn it with him. And so you learn that what seemed hardest was the easiest. Learn to be a happy learner and you will never learn how to make nothing everything. Paragraph six says, if you would be a happy learner, you must give everything and you have learned to the Holy Spirit to be unlearned for you. Paragraph seven says, the happy learner meets the conditions of learning here as he meets the conditions of knowledge in the kingdom. All this lies in the Holy Spirit's plan to free you from the past and open up the way to freedom for you. For truth is true. The next page which is 274. I, next part is the decision for guiltlessness. I wrote, guilt is interference. You are letting guilt stand in your way of freedom and happiness. Whenever you feel happy, you are choosing right. Whenever negativity and guilt come into your mind, you are choosing wrong. It really is that simple. You want to choose you want to choose invulnerability. When you feel vulnerable, you will make choices that moves you away from happiness. 
when you feel strong and, con and content, then only joy and happiness enters. The happy learner, paragraph one, the happy learner cannot feel guilty about learning. This is so essential to learning that it should never be forgotten. The guiltless learner learns easily because his thoughts are free. Yet this entails the recognition that guilt is interference, not salvation, and serves no useful function at all. Paragraph three says, sentence two says, learning is living here as creating is being in heaven. Whenever the pain of guilt seems to attract you, remember that if you yield to it, you are deciding against your happiness and will not learn how to be happy. On the next page, which is page 275, paragraph four at the top says, each day, each hour and minute, even each second, you are deciding between the crucifixion and the resurrection, between the ego and the Holy Spirit. The ego is the choice of guilt. The Holy Spirit is the choice of guiltlessness. The power of decision is all that is yours. What you can decide between is fixed because there is no alternatives except truth and illusion. And there is no overlap between them because they are opposites which cannot be reconciled and cannot both be true. You are guilty or you or guiltless, bound or free, unhappy or happy. Paragraph 5, sentence 4 says, Every one you offer healing to returns it. Every one you attack keeps it and cherishes it by holding it against you. Whether he does this or does it not will make no difference. You will think he does. Is it impossible to offer what you do not want without this penalty? The cost of giving is receiving. Neither, uh, sorry, either it is a penalty from which you suffer or the happy purchase of a treasure to hold dear. Paragraph six says, no penalty is ever asked of God's son except by himself and of himself. In sentence six on that same paragraph, it says, the joy of learning that darkness has no power over the son of God is the happy lesson the Holy Spirit teaches and would have you teach with him. It is his joy to teach it as it will be yours. Paragraph seven at the bottom says, the way to teach this simple lesson is merely this. Guiltlessness is invulnerability. Therefore, make your invulnerability manifest to everyone. Teach him that whatever he may try to do to you, your perfect freedom from the belief that you can be harmed shows him that he is guiltless. He can do nothing that can hurt you. And by refusing to allow him to think he can, you teach him that the atonement, which you have accepted for next page to 76, for yourself is also his. Paragraph 8 says, God is the only cause and guilt is not of him. Teach no one he has hurt you. For if you do, you teach yourself that what is not of God has power over you. The causeless cannot be. Do not attest to it and do not foster belief in it in any mind. Remember always that mind is one and cause is one. You will learn com communication with this oneness only when you learn to deny the causeless and accept the cause of God as yours. The power that God has given to his son is his and nothing else can his son see or choose to look upon without imposing on himself the penalty of guilt. In place of all the happy teaching, the Holy Spirit would gladly offer him. 
Paragraph 9 says, whenever you choose to make decisions for yourself, you are thinking destructively and the decision will be wrong. Sentence 5 in that same paragraph says, every decision is made for the whole sonship, directed in and out and influencing a constellation larger than anything you ever dreamed of. Paragraph 11 at the bottom says, it will never happen that you must make decisions for yourself. You are not bereft of help and help that knows the answer. Would you be content with little, which is all that you alone can offer yourself, when he who gives you everything will simply offer it to you? On the next page, which is page 277, paragraph 12, sentence 2, Nothing can shake God's conviction of the perfect purity of everything that he created, for it is wholly pure. Paragraph, sentence 4 there says, Peace abides in every mind that quietly accepts the plan God sets for his atonement, relinquishing its own. You know not of salvation, for you do not understand it. Make no decision about what it is or where it lies, but ask the Holy Spirit everything and leave all decisions to his gentle counsel. Paragraph 13, sentence 4, The Holy Spirit knows that all salvation is escape from guilt. You have no other enemy, and against this strange distortion of the purity of the Son of God, the Holy Spirit is your only friend. He is the strong protector of the innocent that sets you free. Paragraph 14 says, Let him therefore be the only guide that you would follow to salvation. He knows the way and leads you gladly on it. Paragraph 15 at the bottom says, Seek not to appraise the worth of God's Son, whom he created holy, for to do so is to evaluate his father and judge against him. And you will feel guilty for this imagined crime, which no one in this world or heaven can possibly commit. The Holy Spirit teaches only that the sin of self-replacement on the throne of 278, the next page, of God is not a source of guilt. Paragraph 16 says, say to the Holy Spirit only, decide for me, and it is done. Paragraph 17 says, How gracious it is to decide all things through him whose equal love is given equally to all like. He leaves you no one outside you. Sentence 5 in that same paragraph says, Trust him to answer quickly, surely, and with love for everyone who will be touched in any way by the decision, and everyone will be. Paragraph 18 says, You taught yourself the most unnatural habit of communication with your Creator. Yet you remain in close communication with him and with everything that is within him as it is within yourself. Unlearn isolation through his loving guidance and learn of all the happy communication that you have that you have thrown away but could not lose. The next page, which is 279, starts at the top. Your function in the atonement. And I wrote in Marianne Williamson's book, A Return to Love, I always enjoyed the introduction where she makes an, an analogy about what we choose to see. She talks about the tales of King Arthur and the myths of Avalon. Avalon is a magical island which is located between, or sorry, behind impenetrable myths. The tale goes, unless you believe the island is there, the myths will not part. Our belief in our true existence is the same. Unless we truly believe this is not real, and what is real is there for us to see, we won't see it. Paragraph one starts, when you accept a brother's guiltlessness, you will see the atonement in him. 
sentence three, uh, sorry, sentence five in that paragraph says, grant it to him and you will see the truth of what you have acknowledged. Yet truth is offered first to be received. Even as God gave it first to his son, the first in time means nothing, but the first in eternity is God the Father, whom is both first and one. Paragraph three says, when you have let all the all that obscured the truth in your most holy mind be undone for you, and therefore stand in grace before your Father, he will give himself to you as he has always done. Sentence four says, ask not to be forgiven, for this has already been accomplished. Ask rather to learn how to forgive and to restore what always was to your unforgiving mind. Atonement becomes real and visible to those who use it. On earth, this is your only function, and you must learn that it is all you want to learn. You will feel guilty till you learn this. Next page, which is 280. Paragraph 5 says, Before you make any decision for yourself, remember that you have decided against your function in heaven, and then consider carefully whether you want to make decisions here. Paragraph 6 says, When you have learned how to decide with God, all decisions become as easy and as right as breathing. There is no effort, and you will be led as gently as you were being carried down a quiet path in summer. Only, you, only your own volition seems to make deciding hard. Paragraph 7 says, Unless you are guiltless, you cannot know God, whose will is that you know him. Therefore, you must be guiltless. Paragraph 8 says, Your task is not to make reality. Sorry, paragraph 8 is on the next page, 281. Your task is not to make reality. It is here without your making, but not without you. You who have tried to throw yourself away and valued God so little, hear me speak for him and for yourself. You cannot understand how much your father loves you, for there is no parallel in your experience of this world to help you understand it. Paragraph 9, sentence 3 says, Atonement teaches you the true condition of the Son of God. It does not teach you what you are or what your father is. The Holy Spirit, who remembers this for you, merely teaches you how to remove the blocks that stand between you and what you know. His memory is yours. Paragraph 10 says, The guiltless and the guilty are totally incapable of understanding one another. Each perceives the other as like himself, making both unable to communicate because each sees the other unlike the way he sees himself. God can communicate only to the Holy Spirit in your mind because only he shares the knowledge of what you are with God. Page 282. The top is the circle of atonement. I wrote, which I can't turn the page for some reason. Sorry, that's taking me long. I wrote, we are guiltless. We have nothing to be forgiven for. The past is gone and has no reality in the present. It cannot be carried forward. We choose this, not God. He does not judge and certainly does not condemn. We have an inheritance, one we do not, one we do not have to die to receive. 
This inheritance is waiting for us. We only need accept our brothers and sisters for who they are and let everything else go. Then peace and joy follow. It is the greatest gift we could ever receive. Paragraph one says the only part of your mind that has reality is the part that links you still with God. Would you have all of it transformed into radiant message of God's love to share with all the lonely ones who have denied him? God makes this possible. Paragraph two says everyone is a special part to play in the atonement, but the message given to each one is always the same. God's son is guiltless. Each one teaches the message differently and learns it differently. Yet until he teaches it and learns it, he will suffer the pain of dim awareness that his true function remains unfulfilled in him. Paragraph 4 says the inheritance of the kingdom is the right of God's son given him in his creation. On the next page, which is 283, paragraph 5 says we are all joined in the atonement here and nothing else can unite us in this world. So will the world of separation slip away and full communication be restored between Father and the Son. Paragraph 6 says, Teachers of innocent, each in his own way, have joined together, taking their part in the unified curriculum of the atonement. There is no unity of learning goals apart from this. There is no conflict in this curriculum which has one aim, however it is taught. Paragraph 7 says, Join your own efforts to the power that cannot fail and must result in peace. No one can be untouched by teaching such as this. You will not see yourself beyond the power of God if you teach only this. Paragraph 8 says, Peace then be unto everyone who becomes a teacher of peace. For peace is the acknowledgement of perfect purity from which no one is excluded. Page 284. Paragraph 9 says, Blessed are you who teach with me. Our power comes not of us, but of our Father. In guiltlessness we know him, as he knows us guiltless. I stand within the circle, calling you to peace. Teach peace with me, and stand with me on holy ground. Paragraph 10, sentence 2 says, Only the resurrection became my part in it. That is the symbol of the release from guilt to guiltlessness. Whom you perceive as guilty, you would crucify. Yet you restore guiltlessness to whomever you see as guiltless. Crucifixion is always the ego's aim. And paragraph 11, the last paragraph in this part, says, Each one you see, you place within the holy circle of atonement or leave outside. Judge him fit for crucifixion or for redemption. If you bring him into the circle of purity, you will rest there with him. If you leave him without, you join him there. Judge not except in quietness, which is not of you. Refuse to accept anyone as without the blessing of atonement and bring him into it by blessing him. Holiness must be shared and therein lies everything that makes it holy. Come gladly to the holy circle and look out in peace on all who think they are outside. Cast no one out, for here is what he seeks along with you. Come, let us join him in the holy place of peace, which
which is for all of us, united as one within the cause of peace. The next page, which is 285, is the light of communication. The Holy Spirit is our light of communication. She dwells in us and is waiting, awaiting our request for help and guidance. Darkness is our creation. We, made, uh, we are made up of light as spiritual beings. The darkness that we see or feel is of our own imaginings and not real. As long as we feed the darkness and allow our mind to go there, then the light will be difficult to see. Paragraph 1 says, The journey that we undertake together is the exchange of dark for light, of ignorance for understanding. Nothing you understand is fearful. It is only in darkness and in ignorance that you perceive the frightening and shrink away from it to further darkness. And yet it is only the hidden that can terrify, not for what it is, but for what its hiddenness. The obscure is frightened is frightening because you do not understand its meaning. If you did, you would be clear and you would be no longer in the dark. Nothing has hidden value, for what is hidden cannot be shared, so its value is unknown. The hidden is kept apart, but value always lies in joint appreciation, which is concealed. What is concealed cannot be loved, and so it must be feared. Paragraph 2, sentence 2 says, Attack will always yield to love if it is brought to love, not hidden from it. There is no darkness that the light of love will not dispel, unless it is concealed from love's beneficence. Paragraph four near the bottom says, death yields to life simply because destruction is not true. The light of guiltlessness shines guilt away because when they are brought together, the truth of one must make the falsity of its opposite perfectly clear. Paragraph five at the bottom says, you have regarded the separation as a mean for breaking your, go to 286, communication with your father. The Holy Spirit reinterprets it as a means of reestablishing what was not broken, but has been made obscure. Paragraph six says, you who speak in dark and devious symbols do not understand the language you have made. It has no meaning for its purpose is not communication, but rather the disruption of communication. Paragraph eight near the bottom says the Holy Spirit's function is entirely communication. He therefore must remove whatever interferes with communication in order to restore it. Therefore, keep no source of interference from his sight, for he will not attack your sentinels. But bring them to him and let his gentleness teach you that in the light they are not fearful and cannot serve to guard the dark doors behind which nothing at all is carefully concealed. The next page, which is two. 87 is the sh sharing perception with the Holy Spirit. As darkness fades to light, so ignorance fades away when knowledge appears. It is possible to teach the unknowing. Sorry, is it possible to teach the unknowing that they know? God knows that we know. Our unknowing has become a belief in something that does not exist. We have convinced ourselves that we are separate entities in a world where union is impossible. The Holy Spirit can bring this oneness into your mind with clarity and light that you could not question 
your true existence. Paragraph 1 says, on page 287 says, What you do not want... Sorry, <laughs> what do you want? Wow, I'm having a hard time here. Light or darkness, knowledge or ignorance are yours, but not both. Opposites must be brought together, not kept apart. For their separation is only in your mind, and they are reconciled by union as you are. In union, everything that is not real must disappear, for truth is union. Paragraph 2 says the search for truth is but the honest searching out of everything that interferes with truth. Truth is. It can neither be lost nor sought nor found. It is there. Wherever you are, being within you. Yet it can be recognized or unrecognized, real or false, to you. Yet it can, oh sorry, if you hide it, it becomes unreal to you because you hid it and surrounded it with fear. Paragraph four at the bottom says, our emphasis has been on bringing what is undesirable to the desirable, what you do not want to what you do want. You will realize that salvation must come to you this way if you consider what disassociation is. Disassociation is a distorted process of thinking whereby two systems of belief which cannot coexist are both maintained. Next page, which is 288. Paragraph 5 says, Light cannot enter darkness when a mind believes in darkness and will not let it go. Truth does not struggle against ignorance, and love does not attack fear. What needs no protection does not defend itself. Defense is of your making. God knows it not. Sentence 13 in the same paragraph says, You are not asked to do mighty tasks yourself. You are merely asked to do the little he suggests you do, trusting him only to the small extent of believing that if he asks it, you can do it, and you will see how easily all that he asks can be accomplished. Paragraph 6 says the Holy Spirit asks of you but this, bring to him every secret you have locked away from him. Open every door to him and bid him enter the darkness and lighten it away. At your request, he enters gladly. He brings light to darkness if you make the darkness open to him. Paragraph 7 at the bottom says, Join with him in seeing is the way in which you learn to share with him the interpretation of perception that leads to knowledge. You cannot see alone. Sharing perception with him whom God has given you teaches you how to recognize what you see. That's on the next page, 289. It is the recognition that nothing you see means anything alone. Seeing with him will show you that all meaning includes yours, comes not from double vision, but from the gentle fusing of everything into one meaning, one emotion, and one purpose. God has one purpose which he shares with you. The single vision which the Holy Spirit offers you will bring this oneness to your mind with clarity and brightness, so intense you could not wish for all the world not to accept what God would have you have. Behold your will, accepting it as his, with all his love as yours. All honor to you through him and through him unto God. On that same page, the holy meeting place. I wrote, actually I didn't write anything about this. I think it kind of stands on its own. 
paragraph one says in the darkness you have obscured the glory god gave you and the power you bestowed upon his guiltless son all this lies hidden in every darkened place shrouded in guilt and in the dark denial of innocence uh, sentence four says it is the closing of the doors that interferes with recognition of the power of god that shines in you paragraph two says he shares it still for you everything that promises otherwise great or small however much or little valued he will replace with the one promise given unto him to lay upon the altar to your father and his son no altar stands to god without his son next page which is 290 the top of the page sentence 13 says the holy meeting place is the unseparated father and his son lies in the holy spirit and in you all interference in the communication that God himself wills with his son is quite impossible here. Unbroken and uninterrupted love flows constantly between father and the son as both would have it be. And so it is. Paragraph four says there is no substitute for truth and truth will make this plain to you as you are brought into the place where you must meet with truth. And there you must be led through gentle understanding which can lead you nowhere else. Where God is, there you are. Such is the truth. Sentence 9 in that same paragraph says, In the holy meeting place are joined the Father and his creations and the creations of his Son with them together. There is one link that joins them all together, holding them in the oneness of which creation happens. On the next page, 291, is the reflection of holiness. You have no need to make yourself holy. You were created that way, and it has never changed, even if you are not aware of it. Its meaning to those who look upon it is not obscure, for everyone perceives it as the same. Everyone can bring their problems to its healing light, and all their problems find healing there. Paragraph 1 says, The atonement does not make holy. You were created holy. It merely brings unholiness to holiness or what you made to what you are. Bringing illusions to truth or the ego to God is the Holy Spirit's only function. Sentence 10 says, The past that you remember never was and, the, and represents only the denial of what always was. Paragraph 2 says, Bringing the ego to God is but to bring error to truth where it stands corrected because it's the opposite of what it meets. It is undone because the contradiction can no longer stand. Sentence six says different realities are meaningless for reality must be one. It cannot change in time or mood or chance. Its changelessness is what makes it real. This cannot be undone. Undoing is for unreality and this reality will do for you. Um, paragraph three says merely by being what it is, does truth release you from everything that it that it is not? The atonement is so gentle, you need but whisper to it, and all its power will rush to your assistance and support. Paragraph 4 says, In the temple, holiness awaits quietly for the return of them that, that love it. The presence knows that they will return to purity and to grace. The graciousness of God will take them gently in and cover all their sense of pain and loss with the immortal assurity of the gods of their father's son. Their fear of death will be replaced with joy of life. The next page, which is 292, 
paragraph five says, in this world, you cannot become a spotless mirror in which the holiness of your creator shines forth from you to all, uh, all around you. You can reflect heaven here. Sentence four says, earth can reflect heaven or hell, God or the ego. You need but leave the mirror clean and clear of all the images of hidden darkness you've drawn upon it. Paragraph six says, reflections are seen in light. In darkness, they are obscured, and their meaning seems to lie only in shifting interpretations rather than in themselves. The reflection of God needs no interpretation. It is clear. Clean but the mirror and the message that shines forth from what the mirror holds out for everyone to see. No one can fail to understand. It is the message that the Holy Spirit is holding to the mirror that is in him. Paragraph 8 at the bottom says the response of holiness to any form of error is always the same. There is no contradiction of what holiness calls forth. Its one response is healing without regard for what is brought to it. Those who have learned to offer only healing because of the reflection of holiness in them are ready to at last for heaven. The equality of miracles. There is a line in this section that reads, Everyone seeks for love as you do, but knows it not unless he joins with you in seeking it. If you undertake the search together, you bring with you a light so powerful that what you see is given meaning. Can, you, can it really be that simple? <laughs> Extension means that you need to go first. Extend the love and charity to all those you encounter. Love is found when you include others in your journey for the light. Then the true meaning is revealed. Paragraph 1, sentence 2 says, The reflection you accept into the mirror of your mind in time, but bring eternity nearer or farther. But eternity itself is beyond all time. Reach out of time and touch it with the help of its reflection in you. And you will turn from time to holiness as surely as the reflection of holiness calls everyone to lay all guilt aside. Reflect the peace of heaven here and bring this world to heaven. For the reflection of truth draws everyone to truth and all they enter into it, they leave all reflections behind. Paragraph two says in heaven, reality is shared and not reflected. By sharing its reflection here, its truth becomes the only reflection the truth the Son of God accepts. Sentence four says, you, are, you on earth have no conception of limitlessness, for the world you seem to live in is a world of limits. In this world, it is not true that anything without order of difficulty can occur. Sentence seven says, the miracle is the one thing you can do that transcends order, being based not on differences, but on equality. Paragraph three says miracles are not in competition and the number of them that you can do is limitless. They can be simultaneous, simultaneous, oh, simultaneous, simultaneous, oh, and lesion. This is not difficult to understand once you conceive of them as possible at all. Paragraph four, perhaps you've been aware of lack of competition among your thoughts, which even though they may conflict, can occur together and in great numbers. You may indeed be so used to this that it causes you little surprise. Yet you are also used to clarifying some of your thoughts as more important, larger 
better, wiser, or more productive and valuable than others. This is true of the thoughts that cross the mind of those who think they live apart. For some are reflections of heaven, while others are motivated by the ego, ego which but seem to think. Paragraph 5 at the bottom says, The result is a weaving, changing pattern that never rests. And on page 294, and is never still. It shifts unceasingly across the mirror of your mind and the reflections of heaven last but a moment and grow dim as dark blots them out. Sentence four says the little sanity that still remains is held together by a sense of order that you establish. Yet the very fact that you can do this and bring any order into chaos shows that you are not an ego and that more than an ego must be in you. For the ego is chaos and if it's and if it were all of you, no order at all would be possible. Yet though the order you impose upon your mind limits the ego, it also limits you. To order is to judge and to arrange by judgment. Therefore, it is not your function, but the Holy Spirit's. Paragraph 6 says, It will seem difficult for you to learn that you have no basis at all for ordering your thoughts. This lesson the Holy Spirit teaches by giving you the shining examples of miracles to show you that your way of ordering is wrong, but that a better way is offered you. The miracle offers exactly the same response to every call for help. It does not judge the call. It merely recognizes what it is and answers accordingly. Sentence 14 at the bottom says, There's no order of difficulty here. A call for help is given help. Paragraph 7 says, The only judgment involved in the Holy Spirit's one division into two categories, one of love and the other, the call for love. You cannot safely make this division for you are much too confused either to recognize love or to believe that everything else is nothing but a call for love. You are too bound to form and not to content. What you consider content is not content at all. It is merely form and nothing else. For you do not respond to what a brother, brother really offers you, but only to the particular perception of his offering by which the ego judges it. On the next page, which is page... 295. I have to bring the light just a little bit closer. 295. At the top of the page, sentence two says, to the ego, if the form is acceptable, the content must be. Otherwise, it would attack the form. If you believe you understand something of the dynamics of the ego, let me assure you that you understand nothing of it. Paragraph nine says, this is characteristic of the ego's judgments. Separately, they seem to hold, but put together, and the, and the system of thought that arises from joining them is incoherent and utterly chaotic. For form is not enough for meaning, and the underlying lack of content makes a cohesive system impossible. Paragraph 10 says, It is impossible to remember God in secret and alone, for remembering him means you are not alone and are willing to remember it. Take no thought for yourself, for no thought you hold is for yourself. If you would remember your father, let the Holy Spirit order your thoughts and give only the answer with which he answers you. Everyone seeks for love as you do, but knows it not unless he joins with you in seeking it. If you undertake the search together, you bring with you a light so powerful that what you see is given meaning. 296, next page. 
Uh, sentence four at the top says, earlier I said this course will teach you how to remember what you are, restoring to you your identity. We have already learned that this identity is shared. The miracle becomes the meaning of sharing it. By supplying your identity wherever it is recognized, you will recognize it. The next part on that page, which is 296, the test of truth. Power is not of this world, and our definition of it is only of this world. It is why we struggle with finding our power and function in this world. The first step is to let go of what you perceive power to be. Then let the Holy Spirit reinterpret it for you. Do not be concerned about how you can learn a lesson so completely different from everything that you have taught yourself. Your part is simple. You need only recognize that everything you learned, you do not want. Nothing will ever be withheld from you. Paragraph one. Yet the essential thing is learning that you do not know. Knowledge is power and all powers of God. You who have tried to keep power for yourself have lost it. You still have the power, but you have interposed so much between it and your awareness of it that you cannot use it. Everything you've taught yourself has made your power more and more obscure to you. Paragraph two says, be willing then for all of it to be undone and be glad that you are not bound to it forever. For you have taught yourself how to imprison the son of God, a lesson so unthinkable that only the insane in deepest sleep could ever dream of it. Paragraph three says atonement teaches you how to escape forever from everything that you've taught yourself in the past by showing you only what you are now. Learning has been accomplished before its effect, its effects are manifest. Learning is therefore in the past, but its influence determines the present by giving it whatever meaning it holds for you. Your learning gives the present no meaning at all. Nothing you have ever learned can help you understand the present or teach you how to undo the past. Your past is what you have taught yourself. Let it all go. Do not attempt to understand any event or anything or anyone in it, in its light, for the darkness in which you try to see can obscure, only obscure. Put no confidence at all in the darkness to illuminate your understanding. For if you do not contradict the light, and thereby think you are, you see the darkness. Yet darkness cannot be seen, for it is nothing more than a condition in which seeing becomes impossible. Paragraph 4 says, You have not yet brought all of the darkness you have taught yourself into light in you, can hardly judge the truth and value of this course. Yet God did not abandon you, and so you have another lesson sent from him, already learned from every child of light, by him to whom God gave it. This lesson shines with God's glory, for in it lies power, which he shares so gladly with his son. Learn of his happiness, which is yours. But to accomplish this, you all your dark lessons must be brought willingly to truth and joyously laid upon by hands open to receive it, not closed to take it. Paragraph six says, do not be concerned about how you can learn a lesson so completely different from everything that you've taught yourself. How would you know? Your part is very simple. You need only recognize that everything you learned, you do not want. Ask to be taught and do not use your experiences to confirm what you have learned. 
when your peace is threatened or disturbed in any way, say to yourself on page 298, I do not know what anything including this means. And so I do not know how to respond to it. And I will not use my own past learning as the light to guide me now. By this refusal to attempt to teach yourself what you do not know, the guide whom God has given you will speak to you. He will take his rightful place in your awareness the instant you abandon it and offer it to him. Paragraph 9 near the bottom says, You... No, sorry. Do you think that what the Holy Spirit would have you give, he would withhold from you? You have no problems that he cannot solve by offering you a miracle. Miracles are for you. And every fear or pain or trial you have been ha, has been undone. He has brought all of them to light, having accepted them instead of you and recognized that they never were. Paragraph, sentence 7, sorry, at the bottom says, Lessons you would teach yourself he has corrected already. They do not exist in his mind at all. For the past binds him not, and therefore binds not you. He does not see time as you do. On the next page, uh, paragraph 11 says, God's son will always be indivisible as we are held as one in God. So do we learn as one in him. God's teacher is as like to his creator as his son. And through his teaching, does God proclaim his oneness and his sons. Paragraph 12 says, those who remember always that they know nothing and who have become willing to learn everything will learn it. But whenever they trust themselves, they will not learn. They have destroyed their motivation for learning by thinking they already know. Think not you understand anything until you pass the test of perfect peace. For peace and understanding go together and never can be found alone. The next page is page 300. And I'm just going to go to sentence six at the top of that page, which says, with your perfection ever in his sight, he gives the gift of peace to everyone who perceives the need for peace and who would have it. Make way for peace and it will come. For understanding is in you and from it peace must come. Wow, that is a big chapter. I'm looking at how long this is a second big chapter. Um, chapter 14, I'm just going to get to my little notes. So it's the end of chapter 14 in A Course in Miracles. The Holy Spirit, wow, plays such a huge role in our unlearning of what we think we know. She is waiting for us. We have taught ourselves so much of what is not real or true. It makes it difficult for us to see what is real and true. This chapter only asks that we consider relinquishing our perceived power and understanding to a spirit that'll trade it with what our power is and how we can use it. This is a journey. Keep finding your way. Have a fabulous week. And until next week, always love, Denise.